Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. You know, doubt is a funny thing. You can be thinking to yourself, I got this. I know exactly what I'm doing. You can have absolute confidence in what it is you're about to do. And then something goes wrong. Whatever it is, You do, you blow it. You mess up, and you lose confidence. You ever had that experience? And then doubt creeps in. Most of us, if not all of us, have had that experience. Where we're going into a test, and we think to ourselves, we got this. And then we get to the test, and what happens? We freeze. You know, people in in our lives, maybe some of you have children, and especially when we think our children are just the brightest, the smartest, and then they go in and they take this test, and I don't know what it is. They just don't test well. (laughs) Maybe because they have that doubt. Maybe it's a sporting event where someone feels absolutely confident. Maybe it's you stand up to that tee and you've been on the practice tee and you've been bombing your drives. And maybe even the first few holes you're playing really well and then you hit that duck hook. And your game falls apart for the rest of the round and it's like, what happened? The confidence you had goes away. A music, music recital or a music performance or your wedding day where you have absolute confidence. I love this person. Then you get there and it's like, what am I doing? <laughs> and doubt creeps in. Most of us, if not all of us, have doubt. You know, most of you know many of the Bible stories. And I remember not only hearing the Bible stories, but reading the Bible stories when I was younger. And I'd get to some of these biblical people, and I'd read some of the things they experience. And then you read a few pages later, and it's like, what happened to them? Did you ever do that? I remember doing that on a regular basis. And I'm just going to pick out a few. Moses. Right? Moses gets to the burning bush. He sees this burning bush. And this bush is burning and it's not consumed. And then all of a sudden he hears a voice come out of the bush. Moses. What? 
Take off your shoes. This is holy ground. Whoa. This is awesome. And it's the Lord. And the Lord says, I'm going to send you back to the people of Israel and you're going to be my person and you're going to rescue them. And he says, I can't talk, Lord. You really think I can't do this through you? What's your problem? I mean, that's what I would say. After what I just showed you, after I just called you, doubt, self-doubt. The people of Israel, all the plagues, the Red Sea, they get out into the wilderness three days. Did you bring us out here to die? Three days after everything they saw. And then over and over again throughout the history of Israel. They doubt. Elijah. Elijah does all these incredible acts in his life. And the Lord speaks through him and uses him. Gives him incredible gifts. He's got these company of of prophets. (coughs) And then this big confrontation with the prophets of Baal. This false god. And they try to get Baal to react and Baal doesn't exist. And Elijah says, just soak this sacrifice with water. Because I believe that God can consume this sacrifice. Even if it's soaked with water. And fire comes down from heaven, consumes the sacrifice, consumes the prophets of Baal. Elijah sees the Lord work in incredible ways. And then all of a sudden, he gets fearful and flees to the wilderness. And he's out there all by himself. And the Lord amazingly sends these birds to feed him. And what does Elijah say? After several days? I'm the only one. I'm all by myself. We never do that. I'm the only one. No one understands. Right? And we go through that self-doubt. And what does the Lord say to Elijah? Oh, I feel so bad for you. No, he says, there's 7,000 others that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Get back there! Don't you trust me? I've got you. But he does so in a gentle way. The still, small voice. The sheer voice that cuts to the quick. Jeremiah. The very first chapter. The Lord speaks to his heart and says, I formed you in your mom's womb. You've got a special place, a special gift. And I've called you. I want you to be my prophet. 
And Jeremiah doesn't say, all right, I'm ready to... Jeremiah says, I'm just a kid, Lord. He could be 25 or 30. We don't know. I mean, I look back now, 25 sounds pretty young. I look back when I was first called here, 34, 35 years old, and say, geez, I was just a kid. Why do we do that? Why do we doubt? What's reassuring and comforting is you look at these great men of the Bible and you look at people in the Old Testament and you look at people in the New Testament and you see people that were blessed in tremendous ways including the apostles, including Timothy, who doubted. Doubt is something that's common to most of us, if not all of us, that we experience at some point in our life. And this passage that we have before us in Matthew chapter 11, I don't know how many of you were here last week. I don't know how many of you know the previous passage about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3. But John the Baptist is out in the wilderness, comes in, immediately starts calling for repentance, calling to the Jews, calling out the Pharisees, calling them brood of vipers. He's got this incredible confidence. And then what happens? Gets arrested. Circumstances change. and doubt creeps in. And maybe he doubts, and maybe his disciples doubt, and maybe all of them doubt, because they're just not seeing it. The circumstances have, they've changed in John the Baptist's life. And maybe they're just not seeing in Jesus what they're expecting to see in Jesus. That this Messiah, isn't he supposed to come and really take over things? And make the people of Israel number one again and dominate the scene? And so they say, we're not sure about this guy. This is the same guy that John the Baptist pointed to in John 1 and said, Behold the Lamb of God. That he saw the Holy Spirit come upon. That he said, I'm not worthy to untie a sandal. And now all of a sudden, what happens? You know, I think sometimes, if I experience those things, Moses, Elijah, Jeremiah, John the Baptist. Would I doubt? I've experienced tremendous blessings in my life. I've seen the Lord work. And 
doubt manifests itself in a variety of ways. And I want to talk about some of the ways that doubt manifests itself in our lives. The first is self-doubt. <coughs> self-doubt. <coughs> As I've already said, excuse me, self-doubt can come in at different times in different ways. Different spheres of our lives. And I'm not even talking about just biblical people. I'm not even talking about just believers. Think about people down through history. Successful military leaders. Successful business people. Successful politicians. And if you've read autobiographies about people, that they're on a roll. They've done great things. They've accomplished incredible things. And then all of a sudden they hit a wall. Something happens. Entertainers. Sports figures. There is no walk of life that is immune from self-doubt. No walk of life. It can hit us at any age, at any time. And it doesn't matter what strata or level of success that we've reached in our field. It can creep in. And sometimes the people that appear the most successful or the most arrogant have tremendous self-doubt. They're just compensating. You know, the... The other night, last Sunday evening, we were at the church mouse, and I don't even remember how this came up. It came up in a conversation with someone who was there at the church mouse. But I was talking to someone, and they had a concern about someone, and I said to the person I was talking with, I said, well, you remember my story about my panic attacks. And she said, this is someone that's been here for 20 years, and she said, no, I've never heard you tell that story. And I looked at her and said, you're kidding. And she said, no. So for those of you that have heard me talk about it, you can turn off your ears for about a minute or two. For those of you that haven't or don't remember, I'm going to tell you the story. Back in 1985, I was ordained. And when I was ordained, I was concerned about my preaching I didn't think I was going to be a very good preacher. And actually, in seminary and my first year, toward the end of seminary and in my first year, after I had had homiletics, I remember saying to Meredith, I'm afraid I'm not going to be a very good preacher. And Meredith said, I know what you mean. <laughs> I thought the focus of my ministry was going to be kind of pastoral care. And we had heard great preachers. Well... What the Lord decided to do was pretty amazing. All of a sudden, I started becoming a better preacher. And I had people kind of feeding my ego, which is always dangerous. And I almost started being a little cocky. And after my first position, I ended up in a very large church in San Antonio. And on a five-clergy staff, I ended up being the second preacher after the rector. And... Some bad things started developing. I started believing my own press, and I became a workaholic. I started trying to please everybody. 
And the first Good Friday I was there, this is now 1988, I had my first panic attack. And I walked off the altar. I was supposed to do two of the seven last words. And that first panic attack started eight or nine years of panic attacks. Every Sunday, every wedding, every funeral. My first four or five years here at St. Luke's, 92 onward, I had panic attacks. And I said to Meredith on numerous occasions, if these don't stop, I've got to get out of this. This is just awful. Self-doubt had crept in. And it lasted a long time. In my case, it was a good thing. Because what the Lord taught me was that I had learned to rely on my abilities and not Him. I was a believer. But the gift that He had given me, I started taking back. And He needed to take over again. So the Lord allowed that self-doubt to come over me so that my focus could get right. Self-doubt can be a redeeming thing when we understand that the Lord wants our confidence not to be in ourselves, but in Him. That we're not here to glorify ourselves, we're here to glorify Him. And so what the Lord did was replace that cockiness with a total reliance on Him. Which is why I started this practice of getting up so early on Sundays. Because I had to rely on Him. It was a hard lesson, but a good lesson. I still suffer self-doubt. But what I learned in the process was to go to Him. Twinges that remind me of whose I am and who I do this for. Sometimes I suffer self-doubt on the golf course. That's a bad thing. But it's okay. Because what I've learned there is, that's minor in the big scheme of things. We need to learn what's important and what's not important. What's priority and what needn't be priority. What are we doubting and why? The Lord wants to make us confident in Him. To trust Him. And that's what He was trying to teach Moses and Elijah and Jeremiah and the Apostles. 
That's the gift. Doubting others. I don't know how many of you, when you were a kid, grew up playing the game, the card game, I Doubt It. Any of you know the game, I Doubt It? You know, that's where you are dealt a hand of cards, and the goal is to get rid of all your cards, because when you get rid of all your cards, you win. But part of the game is, sometimes you tell the truth, and sometimes you bluff, right? Well, what's another word for bluff? You lie. Right? You lie. Early in my marriage, I learned I'm terrible at lying. So I don't try to lie, but in cards, I can sometimes get away with bluffing. You know, the reality is, we've come in our culture to a point we assume most people lie. We've become a culture of cynics and skeptics. We doubt other people frequently. We doubt politicians. We doubt salesmen. We doubt people in business, people in insurance. There's so many people in our culture that we doubt. We sometimes doubt family members and friends. And lying has frequently become a part of life. And many people have been betrayed and hurt. Marriages, families, in the church. Let me read to you something that's written in the Gospel according to John early in Jesus' ministry. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone, for he himself knew what was in everyone. Isn't that an interesting line? God knows us, knows what's in us. And if we're honest, we know what's in us. And sometimes we're not terribly trustworthy. But let me read to you later on in John's Gospel from John 15. This is my commandment that you love one another as I've loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything that I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. That's a change, don't you think? Why? Because Jesus cultivated trusting relationships. He cultivated a community. He modeled. He taught them. He risked. 
You know who wasn't there when he said that? Judas. He wasn't always successful. And you know what else? There were times that he said to them, I'll paraphrase, you're a bunch of boneheads. Oh, you of little faith. He was honest with them. Get thee behind me, Satan, to Peter. He confronted them. He challenged them. He questioned them. But Jesus cultivated community, friendships, willing to lay down his life for them. And they would eventually be willing to do the same. We live in a culture of doubting other people. Cynics, skeptics, superficial relationships. And we as the church need to learn to cultivate community. And family. And relationships we can count on. We need to learn love and forgiveness and grace with each other. We need to learn to speak the truth in love. Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 4, which is a passage that talks about the body of Christ. We must no longer be children tossed to and fro, blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. In other words, there's a lot of false ways out there. False ways to be, false ways to live, false beliefs. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up into every way, into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. How do you do that unless you cultivate community? Unless you work at it. And how do we model that to the world? Thirdly, doubting God. Doubting God. There are times people doubt Him. That we doubt whether He loves us. We doubt whether He can do what we need or want Him to do. We doubt God. We believe our own expectations of who God should be, what God should do for us, or we get led astray by what others tell us. Or because circumstances aren't what we had hoped they would be. John was wrestling with all that while he was in prison. 
Maybe the circumstances, maybe the false expectations of who the Messiah should be. We're not sure. But we do know there are three constant challenges. Jesus talked about them, Scripture talks about them. Satan, the world, and our own flesh will constantly be causing us to try to doubt God and to trust His love, His purposes for our lives. That we don't walk by faith, we don't live by faith, we won't do life the way He calls us to do life. And what does Jesus do? He reminds John of the prophecies. He reminds John of the prophecies. The Messianic passage of Isaiah 35. The eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf unstopped. The Messianic passage that the people of Israel would recognize as a Messianic passage. Not what some people were expecting. You know, it really goes back to Adam and Eve in a lot of ways. You know what Satan said to Adam and Eve? Did God say? Did he really say? Well, let me tell you what he really intended. Let me straighten you out here. Satan twisted the words. And the fruit looked really good and really tempting. The false ways always do. Initially. And then we doubt God. And how quickly life deteriorates. And we get worn down. The world, the flesh, and the devil will lead to doubt. What ends up happening when we fall into doubt and we don't seek the Lord is we drift. We drift. We drift in our walk. We drift away from worship. We drift away from prayer. We drift away from His Word. And then eventually our life begins to unravel. Morally and spiritually, our life unravels. Relationally, our life unravels. And I appreciate what John the Baptist did. What he did was he went to the source. He didn't dodge. He didn't hide. He didn't go into denial. He went to the source. He said, I need to know. I need to know the truth. I need to know the reality here. He didn't dodge it. He went to the source. And Jesus said, look at the word. Look at the truth. Look at my life. Look at the evidence. Don't listen to what other people are saying. Don't look at the circumstances of your life. Look at the truth. Look at me. 
Look at what I've done. Open your heart. Open your eyes. And you'll see. And you'll understand faithfulness. Given the challenges. Given the distractions. Given the falsehoods. And you can trust. Don't doubt. Trust. Amidst the self-doubt. Amidst the challenges of others. You can trust. And by the way, we have more evidence than John the Baptist ever had. Because we have the cross. Where Jesus died for us to show the depth of his love. The power of sin and death defeated. We have the cross. And we have the resurrection. The promise of eternal life. We have more. The gift that was given at Christmas was the gift to defeat doubt. Self-doubt. Any kind of doubt. And the promise of Christmas, peace, amidst any struggle, any doubt, any circumstance, any challenge. That's the peace. That's the peace. I don't know what doubt you're in right now. I don't know what struggle you're having. But I can tell you, if you want to truly celebrate the first coming of Christ and be ready for the second coming, and if your life is drifting because of doubt, come to the place where you find truth. Come to Him. Come to the place of faith and trust Him. Please bow with me in prayer. Lord God, doubt is a common experience. We see it in the faithful in the Old Testament as well as the New. We see it in your apostles. And yet we saw, once the Holy Spirit came, the transformation. The power of the cross, the power of the resurrection, and the power of your spirit to dispel doubt, and the confidence that comes, the confidence that comes trusting you, the gift of salvation, the gift of eternal life, the gift of Jesus.
Lord, this year as we prepare to go to the manger again, help us to remember the cross and the resurrection as well. Help us to remember the promise of peace to dispel any doubt, any fear, any challenge that we have because of questions or circumstances. To know that peace that passes understanding and the joy and the love. And we thank you for that gift. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.